Hello! Welcome Hello. to Eject Rejects, uh, the show where we talk about movies that maybe we feel did not get enough love, or we love to hate them so much that we feel like we need to shine a light on them. And um, I am Jacob. I am Forrest. And I am Ian. And, Your uh, Rejects. <laughs> and uh, today, we're going to be talking about the movie Streets of Fire. Yeah, so this is actually, this was kind of my suggestion in regards to our next episode for episode three. This is a movie that is uh, definitely very dear to my heart. I, I enjoyed significantly, and I have to also say thank you, Forrest, for introducing me to this of movie course. about a year ago. Um, this is definitely my jam. Not a perfect movie, which we'll get into, but that's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about it. Cause no we don't such wanna... movie is a perfect movie. Exactly. And, you know, kind of the point is, is we don't want to be just talking about films that we think are great in every single way. I mean, there's so many films out there we all love, and... You know, there's been enough ink spilled on these movies as it is, so we want to kind of talk a little bit more about these movies that we like them, warts and all. So uh, this movie came out in 1984, uh, a fantastic year, by the way, for many movies that we all like. Mm -hmm. uh, directed by Walter Hill, who is also the director of The Warriors. And if any of you have seen The Warriors, you know exactly the scene they're all thinking of. Warriors! Come, come out and play! That was actually... Um, uh, Oh, God, what's the term? Improvise. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, because yes. the, the guy who did that scene had a, a music background. Exactly. Well, certainly did. But speaking of music backgrounds, that's definitely what this movie is about a lot. And we'll get into that in a second as well. Just a couple more factoids about the movie. So uh, this was actually a pretty big budget movie as well for this time period, about $14.5 million. It was unfortunately a flop um, due to various things. I only ended up making a little over about $8 million, So, you know, barely went over half the budget. Yeah. Which was, you know, a big shame. Um, also, PG rating, which is, you know, back in the wild days of the 80s when PG meant you could have uh, things that would be considered R nowadays. Um, nip slips. Nip slips, you know, a yeah. little, little bit of butts, uh, a, lot of, a lot of gratuitous action no coconuts. and stuff like that. Nope. No coconuts. Zero. No, there were no coconuts in this film whatsoever. Which I'm most sad about. Now, it didn't feel like a PG movie, though. No. It, no. Which is nice. Um it would be something that you would say, hey, this is a PG movie, and the person that just watched it would be like, what? Well, in fact, Ian asked me, like, while we were setting up, he's like, what do you think the rating was? And I guessed PG-13. Really? Yeah, well, that's, that's I, what I, I mean, guessed. I would have guessed that as well, actually. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. is because when this film was originally shot, um, it was actually supposed to be rated R initially, when with the initial cut was because there was a, a lot more um, a lot more nudity, quite a fair number of F-bombs dropped, things like that. And they ended up editing the movie a lot because this movie was um, helmed by Universal Pictures, and Universal was adamant about making this movie PG, so they ended up cutting out a lot um, to get it down to that rating, which I don't think is a harm to the movie by any scope. And a little fact that I'll get into a little bit later in regards to um, violence and death. Um, I'll touch on that later on in this episode, but I don't think the movie suffers by any means by being PG, because that's not really the point. This isn't supposed to be a gratuitous action movie like Predator or something, right? No. Um, I am going to give a brief synopsis, and I'm going to hand it over to Senor Forrest. We can talk a little bit about Hello. the actors, Hola. because... The actors and actresses in this movie are pretty awesome. But so basically what this film was about is um, the best way for me to summarize it is the way that the movie summarizes the movie at the very beginning is it says a rock and roll fable 
another time, another place. And that really is kind of ultimately what this movie is about. It's about a uh, soldier of fortune mercenary, mercenary type character called Tom Cody, and he is brought back to the town, the city he grew up in by his sister, who is now a diner owner. And the reason being is because he is being entreated to rescue this up-and-coming, absolutely gorgeous singer by the name of Ellen Aim, who also happens to be Tom Cody's ex-girlfriend, as we discover out. And she left him, basically, because he went off to go pursue fortune and glory in the army. And she ended up shacking up with um, her stage producer now, called uh, Billy Fish, who was played <laughs> by one of our one of my favorite actors who is unfortunately well, no well. longer acting. I'll hand it over the force in a second. But the whole reason why he has to rescue Ellen Aim is because Ellen Aim has been captured by the slightly psychotic, definitely creepy uh, biker gang leader, a man by the name of Raven. And the name of the um, biker gang is the Bombers. And basically, that that's the film. I mean, it's it's a very, very simple film in terms of structure and plot. It's really not about that. It's more about the music in the world, but it's just about them rescuing Ellen Aim from the bad guy in the middle of the inner city. And then it kind of turns into a road trip movie. You know, they have to kind of go from place to place and swap out cars, and they pick up a number of colorful characters along the way, which are... Not really necessary for the plot, but you know, kind of add some flavor and stuff. Aside from one character, which we'll mm. get into later. But um, and then it just kind of culminates at the end with you know they they rescue the girl, they have the big old showdown with Raven, and culminates in a fantastic battle at the very end involving um, sledgehammers and a bunch of punching and stuff. Sledgehammer. Yeah, and and that's basically the film. You know, there's 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 oh, a fair bit of love. Mind. There's a bunch of sex appeal in the movie. Fantastic, amazing music, which I'm a big fan of. And uh, that's basically the movie. It's pretty simple at the end of the day. And uh, leading off of that, so yes, um, as Ian stated multiple times, the music is a huge portion of this film. It's the music and the the visuals. And unfortunately, almost the story, if not the characters, take that second um, fiddle to a lot of this. Not to say they aren't important, because obviously they drive the story, even if it makes sense or not. Um, Michael Perry actually plays the lead um, tough-ass anti-hero Tom Cody, who was supposed to have a few sequels off of this. Um, Obviously, with it being a flop, it never really came to fruition. Diane Lane playing Ellen Aim, the very wonderful, um, gorgeous uh, uh, lead kind of rock and roll singer in this. She didn't have as much as a role as I would have liked for her being the driving force for everyone's actions. Um, but Diane Lane, actually, she was in Outsiders. Um, she's <laughs> She was in the Justice League movies, Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman. Obviously, I think those are no longer alive. Um, she was also in Judge Dredd as well with Sylvester Stallone. Um... William Defoe was also in this as Raven. A wonderful job as being a bad guy with absolutely no characterization besides just being a bad dude. Along creepy. With, with those little creepy, weird, slimy fish lips. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Rick Moranis as Billy Fish, who was definitely typecasted as something that you wouldn't normally see him playing. Um, so obviously he was from Ghostbusters, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, your tiny little cute goofball um, shmarmy dork guy that then played a fast-talking jerk hole in this movie, which was kind of hard to watch, but actually also filmed in one of my favorite films, um, Little Shop of Horrors, which hopefully we'll talk about later down the line, maybe sort of, kind of. I'm down. 
Yeah. Um, and actually, uh, I'll, I'll let Ian explain it, but uh, he told me a very interesting fact about Diane Lane during this movie, which I didn't know. Go ahead. You can explain it. Yeah, I'll jump in that a little bit because since we were just talking about the pro- the production of the film a little bit. Uh, so Diane Lane, this was uh, one of her, I think it actually was her first film and she was only 18 when she was filmed, when, when they did this film and she was supposed to play a uh, uh, her character was supposed to be kind of like 26, 28 if I remember correctly mm-hmm. which kind of lines up with you know some of the things I talked about in the movie in regards to how long uh, Cody, um, uh, Tom Cody is away from the film and everything when he goes in the army and all that stuff. Um, but another interesting thing in regards to that, which kind of ties in with the fact that Diane Lane was only 18 years old when they did this film, is they filmed a lot of this movie at night, both deliberately for the plot and also because it helped them circumvent some of the uh, child labor laws that they had for <laughs> the film during this time. So I think there's a couple other actors in, that were um, younger as well, but I know a lot of it had to do with Diane Lane and them doing that so they could get away with you know filming the movie the way they wanted to. There was actually a footnote that the majority of these actors were under 30 during this film. Another one that I forgot to mention, actually, that is definitely um, probably pointing daggers at me from Ian right now because I didn't mention her, but Amy Madigan as McCoy. Oh, yes. Who was originally, that character was supposed to be um, a Hispanic male, but um, Amy Madigan came in to play or to um, uh, show as... Um, the main character's sister, Tom Cody, but she did so well, and she actually wanted to be the part of the um, sidekick for Tom Cody, so she got that role instead. And so they rewrote it for her, and she was definitely a show stealer here. Well, and that's, I think, is a great segue into things we kind of like about the movie. And, I, and I'm a little embarrassed because I actually totally forgot to mention McCoy in my synopsis. And I think that McCoy's a really... dare you? Bi- I know, right? It's, it's, it's terrible. But one of the things I want to backtrack on that is, yeah, so so as part of the story, what ends up happening is Tom Cody basically befriends um, this kind of down-and-out ex-soldier as well by the name of McCoy. And this character kind of becomes his sidekick to help rescue Ellen Aim. And then Billy Fish comes with them too. So you've got this kind of pairing of the whiny selfish producer with this tough as nails, very one-dimensional, unfortunately, main character. And then you've got McCoy. And I really got to highlight McCoy here a little bit because, yeah, Amy Madigan was was fantastic in this role. And it's... If she wasn't in the movie, I don't think I would have liked this movie as much as I as I uh, as I do. Because uh, not only is it really nice to see a very atypical female role, especially for this time period, um, you know, they didn't really. She wasn't like a sexual object or anything. She had stuff to do. She was this very so- fast talking, you know, action hero kind of character that was uh, rather rather nuanced and more than just a one-dimensional character, which was, of course, contrasted by Dan, Diane Lane basically being a uh, MacGuffin in the movie. But I have to definitely say McCoy stole the show in this film in every single way. Yeah, and um, I, I completely agree with everything you said. I very much enjoyed her character. Um, I'm kind of I'm going to backtrack a little bit to the music. Um, uh, the music was all... It was all original. All oh, yeah. original written songs. There was no, you know famous uh, already written songs used for it it was all written for this movie and um a couple of the artists they highlighted that actually wrote music were stevie nicks and uh tom petty yeah so they were contributing artists to the music of this uh film which should speak in bounds about how good the uh, music was and um i that that was it it was it's clear from the get-go that the music is going to be killer in this movie because it starts out just with a bang uh no pun intended maybe um and yeah it was it's just mm, mm, my nips um go ahead 
Well, and that's a great thing to bring up as well, because one other person I really got to highlight, and this is a lot to do with my own personal preferences and things I love, is uh, a number of these songs was uh, written and produced by Jim Steinman. And if anyone knows who Jim Steinman is, or you don't, I'm going to educate you right now. If anyone knows... Lay it the, down, Ian. Yeah. Um, so, so Jim Steinman did a lot of work with Meatloaf. Who, What's for dinner? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Not and, Meatloaf um, again. I'm I'm a big fan of Meatloaf. I love the whole operatic rock genre. And um, Jim Steinman definitely, you know, he brought it home with this film. He only did two of the songs, but they are two of one of the most iconic. They are, they are two of the most iconic songs in the movie, along with the one that Stevie Nicks did, which is called Sorcerer. But he did uh, Tonight Is What It Means to Be Young, which is the grand finale song, and then the opening number for the film as well, when El Name gets captured, uh, which is called Nowhere Fast. And both of those songs, I mean, oh man, between that and then. I gotta say this last thing, and I'll pass it on to the rest of these guys, is because they have things I want to say too. Is um, Diane Lane? I mean, her character's not great, but God, when she's up on the stage doing her acting, it doing her, you know, singing and everything with those songs. Oh man, that the temperature in the room went up like twenty degrees. It's, God, she's amazing in that role and so steaming hot, especially with those songs. Right, I'm gonna move on. <laughs> steamy, Vegetables. super steamy. But yes, so. Um, kind of what Ian was saying, Ellen Aim, uh, Diane Lane's character, she kicked butt, especially with that opening sequence where she slides out there uh, to one of Jen Steinman's songs, who uh, is also a huge, huge um, role model to me, especially um, with Meatloaf as well. I think Ian and I are both huge fans of his work and will for always be fanboys of him. But when Ellen Aim uh, runs out there in that beginning song with the... Uh, the the band wearing all white and then the electric neon signs behind her and then that amazing intro with the uh, the copper gang or the um the chopper gang comes in the bombers yes where they come in and everyone's coated in shadows and everything's dark and wet and just it's wonderful um and another uh film or another song that came out of this film which was a huge hit actually funny enough was a huge hit more than the film itself was I Can Dream About You was actually in a top 10 hits for quite some time. Unfortunately, that it did outlive the movie that it came from and didn't really give it a whole lot of credit because, once again, this is still kind of a not super-duper well-known film. Uh, But, once again, the music is outstanding, and that's pretty much the whole point of the film, as well as the music and the... the, um, the imagery along with that music, everything being so well-timed. Another thing I wanted to mention, Jim Steinman, when he was actually reading the the script, (laughs) he actually thought to himself, well, this script is crap. And the producer, uh, Joel Silver, actually told him, no, 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 it's not about the script, which he's correct, but unfortunately the script is still kind of crap. One more more, uh, nod to the music portion of it before we uh, jump along to the actual... Uh, story and the movie um I, I so as a as a musician myself it was very refreshing to actually because I, I i have a tendency to watch the background when it's a movie that has a, a band playing and it was very refreshing to see like the drummer the bass player and all that look like they were actually playing the music that was on the screen because it's such a humongous pet peeve of mine even like with last um even like with the last episode the jack frost stuff you could see blatantly in that movie that they were that some of those guys were just not playing their instrument and it's like if you're going to hire background people to play your music, hire actual drummers or bass players or pianists or something but this movie 
is a rare form in that because it actually it actually to me looks like that they are playing their instruments and I loved that. Actually, I looked into that for you because that was a question you had. Oh, okay. The band, uh, the beginning, uh, the <clears throat> attackers. I was playing with Elaine. They're actually a band. Awesome. Yes. Okay. They were the so people that, that is... recorded that song, so they actually had them in the movie as well, which is Great. why it looks so good. That is the right way to do it if you're going to do that. If 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 any of those people aren't going to be actors, then that's how you need to do it. You need to hire an actual band or teach the actors how to play the instrument. Well, and that's another thing I want to bring up too, because yeah, the the the, the actual band members were the actual the attackers, right? That was the name yes, of them. Yes, that is yeah. correct. The, the attackers; those were the actual band members. Um, which was an interesting thing, is because Diane Lane actually has gone on record on a couple of interviews that she's had where she said that she felt awkward at times because she didn't actually do the singing parts. Uh, that was right. sent in by, yeah. by a, another guy. I think her name was Eileen. Eileen something like that. Um, I don't the remember the lead actual singer, singer of the attackers. Yeah, yeah. but um, Diane Lane, of course, had to you know lip sync all that stuff, and she felt a little awkward because she was the only one that was, you know, not musically inclined. Um, and that's something that she felt bad for, but she, you know, recognized that she didn't have the singing talents of the actual person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to move on a little bit from the music and talk about a couple of things I love because I could sit here and talk about the music for two hours and then everyone will be falling asleep on this podcast. But um, <laughs> other things I really like about this movie is uh, th- this movie is 100% about the music and the atmosphere, right? And, and the world that this film was built in, it's like a mismatch of predominantly 50s and and 80s but also there's you know a little bit of 60s and 70s and where it's very much again rock and roll fable another time another place this is supposed to be like the real world but it's supposed to be like a timeless thing like great example i mean all the cars and everything are 110 percent out of the 50s i mean you got studebakers everywhere and stuff Mm -hmm. and you know Mm -hmm. and then you know the the bombers they're all the like i felt like it was like they walked out of the grease set right you know they got the hair and the leather jackets and all that stuff but then you got a lot of the 80s like you got a whole scene with one of the songs where it's like mtv up the wazoo kind of the way that they talk and everything act as a little bit 80s at times you know you got a little bit of that going on as well I wanted to talk about the costumes as well. Predominantly ravens. So William Defoe's oh, character, oh God. he has a few wonderful <laughs> scenes where he just stands around and looks menacing. And it's hard to say that a character who just stands around and looks menacing is evil to be evil is actually a good character, but he does it so well. And honestly, I think all that power, all that 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 nuance that he had was because it was all latent into that latex overall, baby. Black well, latex and I know you, overalls. And I know you guys oh like God. I know you guys like to highlight McCoy as like your guys' favorite, and I can appreciate that. Willem Dafoe was the best part of this oh, movie yeah. for me. Oh, he's a close he's, second he's for fan, me, absolutely. Even though I have in my notes here, I have the word oof next to black latex overalls. <laughs> um, but it, it it was still just a great character, like a little a little quirk of his to be like, because he's still you know he does come off as this scary head of like a of a biker gang, mm-hmm. but it's like, and that, that's what makes it all the more uh, great to me is because are you gonna mock a guy who has control over hundreds of bikers because he's wearing uh, uh, black latex overalls? Me um, thinks not, <laughs> and he's obviously a lot wider than virgin snow man he they they almost look like they put makeup on him to look even pastier and i hope that is the case because it once again it's it's done very well um i can keep talking about willem defoe's character he's a figure in my dreams and my nightmares at this point in time well since we're talking about william defoe and raven i'll talk a little bit more about him as well because yes i completely agree with everything you guys are saying as well and one other thing i want to bring up that i really like about this film that ties in with with raven is 
I, I said this before, the final fight scene between Raven and, mm-hmm. and Tom Cody is, is great. And it's awesome. It's because the way it's choreographed is it seemed very natural, but also very epic. And basically what it is, is Raven shows up with his biker gang. And he's like, I'm going to fight you, Tom Cody. We're going to do this whole kind of Western showdown thing. And it's like, you know, choose your weapon and everything. And he shows up with freaking sledgehammers. And they're literally like wailing against each other with these sledgehammers in the middle of this, you know, urban urban street. And I mean, they're like wrecking cars around them and busting down windows just trying to hit each other. And then it eventually turns into stuff where, you know, you think that Raven's going to win. And Tom Cody kicks him in the chin, I think, right? And just like... Knees him, yeah. Knees, something like that. Anyway, like, Raven does, like, practically a backflip on it. And then they start just slugging at each other with fists. And it just gets to a point where, like, Raven's, like, sitting there completely punch drunk. And then Tom Cody just pushes him and falls <laughs> falls over. And that's the fight. And it, it's great. It's really, really good. Um, Just to... I'm, I'm going to gush on Willem Dafoe just a little bit more. Uh, the the scene that Forrest alluded to in the beginning, it like the there's two scenes that I can think of very distinctly that really just highlighted the greatness of this character, and it was at the beginning where the the bombers walk in, bombers, yeah. and it it's their shadow, their faces are shadowed obviously, and then it, the fantastic reveal of the lights slowly going up their face and just revealing this menacing look on his face and it's just a very great and then they just immediately get into all the the kidnapping and all that stuff and then the very ending fight scene it, this one this one's actually my favorite when he holds up that air horn oh yeah and it just like the camera oh, yeah, yeah. the camera is focusing on him but you see obviously it's a little distorted because the camera's focused on him but you just see a like a monsoon of bikers start piling out and it's and he's just standing there like straight faced with just like this toughness on his face and you just see oh that like he is the most like interesting character to me because you just you see his power and all that for a man who wears latex overalls i'm not gonna let that one go i mean at that time giving him credit he did have a a leather jacket at the time he looked a little at that time yes yes he did but um, another thing I wanted to talk about with that ending scene with the sledgehammers, I freaking loved, but it kind of reminded me of this elongated fight scene in a John Carpenter movie called They Live, where you have Rodney Piper playing the main character and another um, kind of famous wrestler dude, and they go at it for almost five minutes to the point where it looks like this is a real scene where they're wrestling for five minutes and they're exhausted and they're tired and just panting and you can see the sweat pouring down their face and it kind of reminded me of this scene in this movie when William Defoe stands up and he's kind of got a slunch to him he looks like he's just done but he's 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 still got his arms up like he wants to fight so Michael Pere or uh (laughs) yes Michael Pere walks up to him and just pushes him over and that's the end of the fight and it's it's wonderful um absolutely and I can keep saying it's wonderful obviously there are some negatives to this movie but before we get into that I also wanted to mention kind of what Ian touched upon this is a road trip movie there was a lot of characters that they met good and useless which yes I think we can all agree yeah. if anything there is one character that was absolutely ridiculously pointless in this movie and um she was uh, played by Elizabeth Daly, the person who plays Tommy Pickles from Rugrats. From Rugrats. Yeah. Yeah. She had absolutely so that's no cool, point but... in this story. She was just another face they yeah. met. And actually, at one point in this movie, Tom Cody walks up to her and says, what are you still doing here? Perfect line. Yeah. It, 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 it perfectly like 
capsules like that that whole the thought of it like why are you still here well that character is supposed to be like the groupie she's like the big fan of ellen aim and she's like oh why are you all on the street here you know i want to tag along it's because i'm your biggest fan that's literally her character folks like that that's all she does and then she's just there and she makes a couple quips once in a while that don't really do anything with the story no, she's got like five lines yeah i mean i guess we could probably talk about things that you know we don't like about the film unless there's any positive any further positive things you i'm, to talk I'm about. done i i i yeah i've made my peace with the positives <laughs> it's time to uh I've, there's only a couple things that i that, like i'll start off with my biggest problem this was my personal biggest problem while diane lane is she she Ian was correct she's beautiful and, and you know she plays the the singing character very well like the singing portion of it very well mm-hmm. but so she was the she was the plot driver for this she was the one that was supposed to be moving she was the whole reason that this thing even happened but like they didn't they did not um they didn't flesh her out enough for us to understand like why this was going on why like why are why are they why are they kidnapping her in the first place it, it it's like it's made clear as to why they're trying to save her but but it, like they didn't do enough with the character with her character to make us care like to like we're obviously rooting for we're rooting for the people that are getting her but that's because they're interesting Diane Lane as a character She's just not interesting other than being, you know, hot and in the movie she has a good singing voice. They, they but like they didn't make us uh, they didn't make us care about her <laughs> enough and if you're going to have her be the like the reason why this is all happening, you need to make us care about her that way we can be rooting for like for her to escape and for her rescuers to succeed. Yeah. So this film has a lot of stuff that happens. It's definitely um a canned heat of a movie where when it gets going it gets going the huge issue and a huge strike that i think we can all agree upon is that none of this really should have happened there's there's no reason why any of this really happened in the first place it it once again it's not about the plot and you can keep saying that but ultimately it's a movie it, yeah. it's supposed to have reasons of why people do things so you have reasonable characters and character drives and if there's none of that it's not really a movie so ultimately if you were to tell me this movie is a music video, I would say yes. If you were to tell me this isn't really a movie, sure. Yeah, I can agree with that. Well, tying in with both of those pieces, yeah, in regards to the plot, and then also, you know, Ellen Aim as, as a character and overall, I mean, she she's literally a living human MacGuffin. Like, I mean, she, yeah, she's, she's like the equivalent of the Death Star plans that was being held by R2-D2, you know, like that. that it's, <laughs> it's, it's like that, you know, oh, th- there's this thing we need to get and we need to bring to a place and we need yep. to stop from the bad guys from getting. that. That's basically what her character is. But we're not saying women are objects. No, nope. no, no, no. No, no, not at all. And, and again, that's why I like McCoy, because in comparison to the other two females, female characters in this movie which is El Name and mm-hmm. then the groupie called Baby Doll she's the only character that had any depth and even in parts where I feel like they could have done something with Ellen Aim like the whole love triangle between her and Billy Fish and uh, you know her ex-boyfriend Tom Cody they focus more on like the rivalry between Tom Cody and, and, and Billy Fish and less like she's again she's just kind of there and after they rescue her then it's just kind of like well, what does she do now? Oh, well, she's just there. You know, we already rescued her. And then they switch over, which 
is the other problem I have with the movie is is there's a number of scenes and plot devices in the movie which really feel quite frankly contrived. Like they 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 build up this whole rivalry between Raven and Tom Cody, but it's kind of like why beyond the fact that you know he messed up all of the bikes and stuff like that and like there's this one scene when they first rescue El name and then they get her in the car and everything and Tom Cody's like uh, you know you go ahead I'm going to stay here and there's really no reason for him to stay there other than the fact that he just wants to mess up and you know fuck up more stuff I mean he like takes his shotgun and is like wailing away at a gas pipe just to cause an explosion and he blows up all their all their stuff yeah but at yeah. that point he's already kind of blowed up like half most of the oh, bikes no, I, anyways yeah. and then it's like the only reason why he stayed behind is because for the plot he needed to stay there so he can have a western style standing across the street with Raven so they can sit there and talk shit to each other for a little bit so they can have that rivalry so they can have the final fight at the end like that's the only reason why they put that in there and and, and that does really is kind of inexcusable for me as a critic is because I feel like if you're going to do something there has to be a reason behind it it has to make sense and that's kind of my biggest issue with the movie is the plot really is like and this happened because the movie needs to happen not because it makes sense I mean it looked good but I agree no point to it and uh, another and and I need to say this because I feel like I'm ragging on it a lot I do like this movie I really enjoy it uh, so and and I like I I like the character of Tom Cody, but I I feel like while I was watching this, Michael Pare is how we're that's how his last name is. It's Pare. So, yeah. okay. yeah. That's got the hype. It's got yeah. the apostrophe thing. Yeah. So Michael Pare, there was moments where he seemed like like he knew what he was doing, but in this particular and I haven't seen anything recent that he's in, so I can't say this like for a fact, but at least in this movie, he seemed very greenhorn. He seemed very new to the whole thing because he was very he had very monotone moments. He had very like where he was where there was lacking some emotion where others like like Defoe or and even Diane Lane where they had there was emotion put into it and McCoy as well. Like there was moments where they all were having some type of emotion and he seemed just very monotone towards the entire situation. Very blase. Yeah, like he, like he was just yes, wooden, very hollow, just and like and but like I like I said, I like the character of Cody. There was just moments where it was like it, it it took me out of it for a second because he's just like very monotone. That's the only word I can describe as his performance is monotone. And it, and I wanted that like his, him being as emotional as the other characters definitely would have made the, would have made this movie 10 times better than it already is. Yeah. Um, and I agree. Uh, his character was a little stiff. Um, and maybe it's just, the 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 actor himself he kind of looks like a a big tough guy cool it'll be cool he's got kind of the sleepy eyes and the the gruff sound to him but what it comes down to is yeah he was a little wooden i still liked him in this film though i don't think he did a bad job no and i'm it's, not and i should have prefaced that i'm not i wasn't saying that he did a bad know, job he just seemed greenhorn it's it's still a good point to make and i yeah. didn't even think about that till you mentioned it to the point he was very greenhorn in this film once again majority of these lead actors were fairly young um and i kind of wanted to touch on his relationship with ellen am and um uh, tom cody in this as well i liked the relationship more than i liked their characters actually so the whole point of this was um tom cody this is his ex is he doing this for the money uh, because billy fish is paying him or is he doing this for the love um, at the very end of the film, he gives up the money that um, Billy Fish gave him and basically says, nope, 
I don't want the money kind of thing, um, but you can keep the girl. He is giving up this money, and he's showing that he cares for Ellen Aim, which is a fantastic scene. And I also kind of liked it because they never really got together. It wasn't your typical movie where they finally came together at the end. At the very end, they realized they weren't right for each other, but they can still care for each other. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they sum it up in that one scene where where because like Billy Fish and and Tom Cody have like this major rivalry going throughout the entire movie, which which I like a lot. At the very end, you know, Tom Cody says, you know, she loves me, Fish, but she needs you. Yep. And and, and Fish is like, yeah, you're right, and that's okay. So I, I did like that part. One one other thing I want to bring up too that I did like about Tom Cody, and kind of a little thing that we were debating, and I ended up look rewatching a couple scenes just to confirm it. Um, I'm fairly certain. I'm going to say like 95% certain. No one dies in this movie, considering that there's a large number of explosions and guns and, and stuff and violence and stuff like that. Um, no one dies in this movie. And there's there's this excellent part where after Fish hires Cody. And, you know, Fish goes, you know, oh, well, you can't kill any of the bombers. That's just going to make things worse, you moron. And then Cody just kind of looks at him straight in the eye and says, I don't have to shoot them. I just have to blow up their bikes. Yeah. And, and and that's exactly what he does in, in the big one of the big action scenes when they go to rescue El Name at the at the sea nightclub and everything is Cody's perched up on this, you know, this tall roof. And he's basically sniping all these these guys. Yeah. In. And and after rewatching, I'm fairly certain that that's exactly what he does. He just blows up their bikes. I mean, sure. I'm sure a couple of the bombers got some nasty third degree burns and everything because this yeah. is still an 80s movies with lots of explosions. But I mean, no one actually gets shot. And the, the only person that actually does get shot is is by McCoy. And even then, I kind of froze that down just to confirm. And I'm pretty certain that she just wings him in like the okay. knee because there's like, a, there's like a quick cut. But you do see it where the guy falls on the ground and it looks like he's clutching his knee. So I, I'm pretty certain that no one dies in this movie, which is I, I really like is because it basically kind of highlights the fact that, you know, Tom Cody's not like a bad guy. He is, you know, he's not trying to kill people just for the sake of killing them. He's only doing what's necessary for the mission. And I, I did like that a lot. I thought that was nice. Now, do you think that's partly just his character or did you think that was also the PG rating that they had to go under those constraints? You know, that that's a great question. And I would actually lean towards a little bit of both. I definitely think that the, the PG rating might have, you know, helped drive that a little bit. But I do think that because they did have that specific line where Cody says, I don't need to kill any of them. I just need to blow up their bikes. I think that that really helped um, drive that character and the way that he is as an individual in this movie. So I think that that was deliberate where they chose not to kill anyone and probably yeah. helped their PG rating part as well. <laughs> yeah, the PG part probably adapted the character a little yeah. bit to it because not to say that if it was R that there would have been a ton of killing, but you know, that's just, you're, you're going to want to reach your R rating if that, if that is the case. So, but <clears throat> I, I agree with you on that. I kind of like that he's, to me, it's like, you know, he's seen enough of this stuff when he was in the army and all of that. So he, you know, and, and he, they, he makes, they make a point to have him say, I'm good at shooting guns. I like to shoot guns. So obviously he was some type of marksman and it was, it was just a very good, he was a good character. I like the character of Cody. He was, he was very good in that aspect, and I and I and if that's the case, if the PG rating adapted his character a little bit, then I like that because I agree with you. I think it's good that there was no outright death in this movie because it just shows like he's only out like it's basically like literally just an eye for an eye. It's not you take out my eye, I cut off your head kind of thing. It's it's very he's very equal and straight laced. He may be he may be 
caused a little more damage than the bikers initially <laughs> did because oh, they didn't yeah. actually blow anything up. They just, you know, they broke some windows and some cars and stuff. But, you know, it was that was mostly just for a distraction more than more than just doing it to do it. It was more of a distraction so they could get out of there. And it was, you know, it, it, it worked out. I like the character. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that I think was a missed opportunity with this film, right, is, is the fact why Raven even captured Elena. And we, we've talked about this, like, what, why did this all happen in the first place? Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been kind of cool if they had done something where they'd established, like, I don't know, maybe like a love square or something where like maybe there was a time where El name dated Raven for a little bit or something like yeah. you know ha- have some reason beyond the fact that basically the only thing that they say to explain why Raven captures El name is when he's got her tied down on the bed and everything he's like relax I'm not that bad of a guy we're gonna fall in love for a couple of weeks and then I'm gonna let you go and no one gets hurt and, and that's all he says and it's just kind of like so he captured her because he just wanted to get laid because they also kind of explain the, the way they set up is it's like, you're fairly certain that if that's all he wanted, because she's hot. That's, yeah. That was the, yeah, <laughs> that was exactly. Hours. So I, I think that that was a missed opportunity that they could have maybe developed a little bit more of a relationship between Ellen aim and, and Raven, which mm-hmm. again, kind of ties in the ties in again. It's like the only thing that they had going for the movie after that was, forcing a rivalry between Tom Cody and Raven. And even then those scenes were kind of like shoehorned in the movie because the movie needed to happen, you know? Yeah. Yes. This movie had its bad moments, um, bad plots, sort of, kind of, um, there was a few moments that I really did enjoy that allowed me to just look over this. Obviously, once again, I can keep talking about the soundtrack and the visuals and I can keep talking about, and the very end, it's not about the love, but, or the physical love, but about the love they had for each other. But I kind of like that fish uh, got the girl in the end. Um, I kind of like some of the side characters, besides, obviously, Baby Doll, the one that had nothing to do with the story. But I liked uh, Bill Paxton's character in this. I liked um, this... How could I forget Bill Paxton? <laughs> now I'm super ashamed. Game I did over, it man. twice now. Yeah. Game over, man! Continue for us. Yeah, they also met this group of um, kind of doo-wop singers partway through the movie, too, that I really liked them. Once again, they were kind of more of a plot for them to get another vehicle to keep their, their escape up. But a lot of these characters I really liked when they really met them. Um... Yes, it was kind of cheesy and just kind of, okay, you're just bodies to fill our boat. Um, yeah, that's me. Um, I Just to highlight another side character that I really enjoyed, um, Officer Ed, yeah. played, played by Richard Lawson. Yeah. Um, he was actually like, he had a surprising amount of like growth for a side, for a very, mm-hmm. a very, very side character. He starts off at the beginning of the movie, you know, oh, Tom Cody's a bad dude, just another, you know, another scoundrel, another bad guy, and I arrested him a while back. And, you know, he it gets, like, as as the movie's progressing, he kind of is starting to side more with him because he's seeing that he's trying to do good as opposed to the, you know, the hooligan that he was when he was younger. And by the end, like, he tells him, when you have your big fight, get on a train and leave because I don't want to arrest you. But if you show up, I will. Uh, and he's basically, uh, Cody is uh, due to circumstances. He has to, he has to be there. And he, and, and officer Ed actually ends up just rooting him on. And I loved officer Ed. He was just a very <laughs> nice little side character to have there. That actually was a, you know, it was a decent, he was a decent plot device because he gave him, he gave him a big ultimatum in there. And it was, 
it was just nice. I liked him. Yeah, I think I think the last thing I'm probably going to bring about this movie because I'm I think I've talked a lot about you know what I like is is I got to circle back to Bill Paxton just because I, I'm ashamed that I did not mention him earlier as well. He plays a very very minor character. I mean, he's basically just just a bartender that they have a he's there for a couple scenes, but but he has kind of a little fun character development because he's like an old friend of Tom Cody's back when Tom Cody lived in the city before he went to the army. You know, so they have some camaraderie there, and he's got kind of a rivalry going with McCoy. Where how they introduce McCoy is uh, his his Bill Paxton's character's name is Clyde. He's Clyde the bartender, basically, and Clyde doesn't like um, McCoy just because he thinks that you know she doesn't need to be in his bar and everything like that. <laughs> how they <laughs> introduce him reasons. is yeah, snarky reasons. He's like first he's like, oh, you don't have any money to pay for that, and then she shoves the money in his face, and he says, well, now I don't like your face, so get out of my bar, and then McCoy just completely decks him, jumps across mm-hmm. the bar, steals a ball of tequila, tosses it at Cody, and says, let's get out of here, and it, it's a great way to introduce McCoy, but I, I like that piece because it's a minor thing, but there's later on in the film where they're again at the bar, and Clyde just kind of is glaring and just shooting daggers at McCoy, and it doesn't say anything, but it, it was nice to see Bill Paxton again in the role. I always enjoy seeing him on, on set. And, I mean, we can keep beating this horse here. We all love this movie. I kind of wanted to touch on the sequel that this had. Yes, this movie was supposed to have sequels, um, official sequels, with Michael Perret. But in 2008, this movie had an unofficial sequel called Road to Hell. It was done by a gentleman, I'm going to butcher his last name, I apologize, Albert Puyen? Uh Sure. Um, but <laughs> this director, he's being labeled as the new Ed Wood. So take that Oof. as you will. If you don't know who Ed that Wood is, I would little. highly suggest looking into it. But this movie, I looked at the trailer and it looks terrible, but it still has Michael Pere in it, um, at, starring as Tom Cody. And a lot of this trailer looks into his past about. Um, uh, Ellen Aim and is still having feelings towards her, and this film still looks very noir, um, neon esque, and has a lot of um, green screens in it. So it did look cheesy, but Ooh, it it was ouch. released in a 2012 Polygrind uh, Film Festival and won Best Film for Fantasy, Best Film itself, Best Actor, Best Actress, and actually Best Song. That was labeled Streets of Fire. I tried to look for it. I did not find it, but I think it's definitely something we all need to get drunk and watch. Absolutely. I would second that. Here, here. Absolutely. I'm down for doing We're going to have to do some tequila then in honor of the movie. Oh, yeah. There Tom you go. Cody's favorite yeah. drink of choice, tequila. So for, I, I think we're all in agreement that we're ready to wrap up. But it's a good movie. For, yeah. for final thoughts, for me personally, I would definitely recommend going and seeing this one. Uh, it, it's a, you're probably gonna have to like rent it or buy it. It, Ian said he found it for like five bucks at Walmart. I think it it's definitely worth checking out if you enjoy. It's not a musical, but if you enjoy movies with good music, all original the driving music, force, driving force of it, it's good. It's got a lot of big name actors and actresses in it, obviously, as you heard throughout. And it's just it's a very entertaining movie if you like if you enjoy anything 80s related and you haven't seen this and if you don't why the hell are you here correct as the guy who had never seen this movie before i absolutely recommend this one and um definitely go watch it and enjoy it yeah and i i love this movie um there's obviously issues with it but i would highly recommend it 
if you want to watch a kick-ass music video, eat some popcorn and drink tequila. Yeah, so I mean, I, I I'm a big big fan of this movie. As I think you've all kind of deduced We've at all this a little point. Gushy yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean. It, it, the movie is great for the world, the, the feel, um, the just the imagery, and obviously the music is a big part. If you're looking for a movie that's going to, you know, blow your mind with a plot twist thing, this is definitely not for you. But that's not really the point of this movie. Um, but all I got to say, guys, is, you know, when I first watched this movie, the first five, ten minutes, the whole opening number, I was sold. Like, I didn't even care anymore. I mean, after that opening number with the whole thing like we've been talking about, I after that, I'm like, I love this movie. I'm sold. I'm good. Would you all say it's time for Urban Dictionary? Yeah. yeah. We're yeah. cringing over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the audience on the other side here all felt that. So this one was a little difficult. Um, there was no title for just Streets of Fire and Urban Dictionary, so I had to start looking up some actors. There was one for oh, Rick no. Moranis, although that one was a little more comical than actually... Oh, no. Anything else? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to skip that one. I mean, at home, you can look up Rick Moranis and Urban Dictionary. I think he'll get a kick out of it. But I chose one called William Defoe. Oh, no. Once again, this is a sex act, and I'm going to give you a few things here. So I'm going to give you the, the little quote that it has, and then I'm going to give you something that it involves. Okay? Lord. Okay. Yeah. Hit Have us. mercy. So a little quote here. Tony pulled a William Defoe on me last night. Okay, doesn't give you too much, but what I can tell you is it involves a Big Mac. <laughs> what? But why? Use your imagination. Was there something that he he definitely didn't need a Big Mac in this movie? Yeah, by I, no I'm, means. I'm not sure if the Big Mac is tied to anything. I feel like it might be, but the only tie here is Willem Dafoe. Okay, continue. I mean, pretty much yes. The only tie here is Willem Dafoe, but this is what it is. Hope you're ready, folks. Gird your loins. When one eats a McDonald's Big Mac and then proceeds to make love to a woman in the squat position. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Other references include the William Defoe squared, which is when you eat a Big Mac and make love. Vigorous, vigorous love. So it's just eating a Big Mac? <laughs> it's just eating a Big Mac, and then having hopefully sex. in a squat position and then with having, your lady friend. And then having sex. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, Urban, you stayed for that. Urban Dictionary, you've Urban, done it again. Uh, the Urban, Diction, Urban Dictionary is a weird place, but it, I, it is a weird I place. like that this is a permanent segment on this show. <laughs> um, Just yeah. for the cringes, yes. Yeah, so uh, thank you for listening. Um, I, like we all said, definitely check out this uh, this here movie. Yeah. It's uh, It's become, it's one of my uh, new semi-favorites. Right. I would say I'll take that as I'll, a win. I'll get yeah, take that as a win for what it is. And thank you for not ejecting these rejects. Yeah, hey. yeah you got it in. See y'all next time, folks. Oh, also because I didn't say it, Frogwa. There we go. Okay, we're done. Frogwa. Frogwa. I said it in the last session, and then you said uh, it in you? the first one. Well, I'm uh, making fun of you. I don't think you've caught. Frogwa. After after watching this episode, uh, go eat a Big Mac.